Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. I believe we have the foremost musician on any set of legs that we're very blessed to have here. And if she can do that with one leg, imagine what she'd do with three, so... Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, the title of this evening's message is Faith Put to the Test. Faith Put to the Test. And I want to frame this message tonight with, a, with an introductory thought. And that is, that is this, and, and I kind of, I really thought about it this afternoon um, while I, I sat at the house having filled my belly with, with food, having had food left over to put back in the refrigerator when I was done, looking out the screen door and seeing the rain coming down, and yet there I was dry, watching Charles's Tennessee Titans pull out a victory on a television bigger than they made when I was a kid. And I don't even have one that's bigger than a whole lot of folks. And I thought, man, I've got a lot to be thankful for. At, at 36 years old, I had a child taking a nap in one room, a wife taking a nap in the other. I had two boys in the back fighting each other like crazy over something. Had another little girl running around. I thought, man, I've got, I got everything right here. At 36 years old, I've got so much to be thankful for. And I think if we were to be honest with each other looking around, we would have to say that we're all in that same boat. We may have problems. We may have situations. We may have storms that we face. But at the end of the day, if we're being honest, we got an awful lot to be thankful for. We've got it. Uh, pretty well and that's what we do right as people we plan things out and we we situate ourselves in such a fashion that that we're, we're kind of doing one of two things in terms of career we're either we're trying to work in such a way that one day we can retire and enjoy all the things that we accumulate or we're on the other side of retirement and, and we're starting to enjoy the things that we've worked a lifetime to gain. And we really try to set ourselves up in such a way that we can kind of kick back at a certain point and enjoy the fruits of our lifetime of labor. And, and we should. And we should. And as we get into our text this evening, I wanted to use that introductory thought for this reason. This is where Abraham is in his life. This is the season that Abraham is in in his life where he has done the things and he set himself up where he, where he could kind of kick back, relax, and enjoy. So please, if you're able, stand. For the reading of the Holy Word from Genesis chapter 22, we'll be in the first 12 verses this evening. Now it came to pass after these things... And God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Let's pray. God our Father, we come to this message, Lord, we come to this text, recognizing that on occasion in your word, we have to deal with difficult thoughts. We have to deal with things that seem uh, impossible to encounter in our own minds. And yet, God, in those moments, you put our faith to the test to see if our treasure is with you or if our treasure is with ourselves and our possessions. God, call us to the woodshed that we would examine ourselves and see where our treasure lay. God, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all you do. And it's in your holy name we pray, as all God people said. Amen. You may be seated. So Abraham is kind of, he's in a, a season of his life, like I said, where he, he should be able to kick back and enjoy things a little bit. Uh, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Abraham had spent the much, much of his life following God. He'd been nomadic. He'd never really had a, a, a long-term home, so to speak. He'd lived in uh, tents, and he'd been moving around much of his life. He and his wife had been told that they would have a child, even though she was very advanced in age and way past the age where children would be an option, yet God said, you'll have a child. And after only 25 years of waiting, God delivered on his promise to give them their son Isaac. Now, when God delivered on that promise, Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90. And they had been moving and never settling down. So now, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac come into this land. And the land is the land that was possessed by Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was not a follower of God. But Abimelech was a smart man, and he saw what God had done in the life of Abraham, blessing him in every battle and blessing him in every war. And Abimelech said, listen, I might not believe in this God, but I don't really feel like fighting this God, so I'm going to get along with Abraham. And so there was a whale that Abimelech and his, and, his, and his men had taken. I don't mean whale like a big fish in the ocean. I mean whale like you dip 
the water out of. It was a big deal then. Remember, they live in an arid climate. So having a well was a mighty big deal. And so his men had found this well and taken it. But Abimelech said, listen, I don't want to have a fight with Abraham because he's a man of God. It's not going to go well for me. I'm going to give you the well. We're going to make a treaty of peace. You'll possess this land. We'll stay in this land. And we won't fight over it. And so they made a covenant. Abraham, the follower of God, and Abimelech, the non-believer. And the land was called Beersheba. Now, this is the place where Abraham could settle down, right? He had a well, he had land, he finally had his son, he had his wife, he had peace, he had arrived in this land, he had certainly been faithful to God through all of his years up to this point, he had been promised to be the father of many nations, he's a hundred years old, is anybody in here a hundred? He's older than all of you, and he's reached that time where he can kind of kick back. Now, Abraham planned to be in this place for a long time. I'll tell you how I know that. If you look at the end of chapter 21, you'll see that Abraham plants a tree there to honor his treaty with Abimelech. You don't plant a tree somewhere you don't plan on staying, do you? Why? Trees take a long time to grow, don't they? You don't plant a tree in the house that you're staying in for about a half an hour, do you? You plant the tree in the place that you plan to put your roots down. And so Abraham plants his tree, marking his spot where the treaty was made so that as his family grew and as his grandchildren, the children of Isaac, his blessed son that he'd been given came along, they would play in the tree and he would look at it and he would always remember the treaty of peace that God had made between he and Abimelech. Now between the end of chapter 21... In the beginning of chapter 22, I, I say all this because I want you to understand what it means. Now it came to pass after these things. We got to know after what things if we're going to know after these things, right? So these are the things. After these things, it's been somewhere between 14 and 30 years. You say, wow, that's, that's a big stretch there, Brother Jason. Well, I'm doing the best I can having to take the age of Isaac here into play to determine about how long this has been. I believe closer to 14, some scholars say 30. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, at least 14 years that Abraham has been in this land with his son Isaac under this treaty of peace. And you would think that all of that being considered, Abraham would kind of have thought that he had gotten to that twilight of his life. Little did he know that he was fixing to walk in to this gut-wrenching scene that he was fixing to endure. And so we're going to kind of take this just a little at a time as we go through this story together this evening. After all of Abraham's relaxing in the twilight, God suddenly shows back up in verse 1 simply with the, with the, with the name Abraham. Now, I don't know how often God and Abraham had communicated in these 14 years. I assume that Abraham remained in communion with God. But we know that at this point, this is a different kind of call from God on to Abraham. And he said his name simply, Abraham, and he calls out to him. And I want you to look at the end of verse 1 at this response from Abraham. What did he say? This may help me. 
Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Here I am. Here I am. That's Abraham's response. He's been sitting. He has every right to be relaxing. He's earned his opportunity to relax. Yet God says, Abraham, and Abraham immediately stands and says, Here I am, Lord. Here I am still, Lord. I'm right here. I'm right where you left me. I'm right where I've always been. Here I am. I want you to notice that Abraham didn't say, Oh, Lord, here we go again. Every time you call out to me, God, I end up in a tent. God, you called out to me one time and I had to do a very invasive surgery on every man in my camp. God, you, every time you call out to me, it's, it's turmoil again. But no, Abraham said, here I am, God. Every time you've called out to me, you've been faithful. Hebrews eleven seventeen would describe this attitude in Abraham when it puts him in what's called the roll call of the faithful, wouldn't it? Hebrews chapter 11, by faith... Abraham, his faith was so mighty that he's listed later on, hundreds of years later, in in, in the annals of history as one who lived by faith. And so when God calls, he says, not what is it, but he says, here I am. And I ask you that tonight because I want you to think about this. Aren't we called the same way today? Still the same God, isn't it? Same God of Abraham is the same God of us. And he calls out to us, and and, and you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know that that I've ever heard God in an audible voice cry out, Jason, but I've had God peck on my heart so hard I knew it was him. And the proper response when that happens is, here I am, Lord. That's the only response for a believer is, here I am. But we tend to put stipulations on that calling, don't we? We say, God, I'm here, but I'm waiting to hear the rest of the instructions. God, I, I'm, I'm here, but I want to know what this is going to look like exactly. I need to know if this is going to be hard on my back, because God, you know my back is out. God, I need to know if you're going to require me to do any public speaking, because God, you know I, I just don't do well with that. God, I, I'm, I'm here, but I need to know, is it going to require me to go and talk to that person that I don't care to talk to, because you know I just really don't like doing that. But the fact of the matter is, God's not looking for us to be conditionally obedient. He's looking for us to be faithfully obedient. And when he calls, he's looking for us to say, here I am. Because when he calls us, he's already provided for us everything necessary to do the thing that he's called us to do. He's getting ready to send Abraham down a road, son. But he's already equipped him with everything he needed for the journey. So let's keep going. Verse 2, God says, all right, you're here. Now, Abraham, I need you to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham, here I am. Abraham, go kill your boy. God, I say here I am, what I'm in is I'm asleep. I don't really, had a little fuck, I can't hear you now, God. Verizon is losing their tower, God. I, I, I didn't hear that command correctly. There for a minute, I thought you said that I had to offer up my son, my only son whom I love, as a burnt offering. Now I'm here to tell you. 
My oldest son, Kaysen, is 10 years old. 10 years old. And he is my best friend. Still. I figure the time's coming where I'm not his anymore, but right now I'm still his best friend. You ask him, that's probably what he'll say. If he says something different, let me know. I'll whip him when we get home. <laughs> In 10 years, I've accumulated memories of his first smile, his first crawl, his first steps, the first time that he said, Dad, Dad, the first time he said he loved me, the first time that he sang a song, the first time he read a Bible, when he accepted Jesus as his Savior, when I got to baptize him, I've accumulated in 10 years a whole lot of memories with that boy. 10 years. Isaac is at least 14 years old here. Imagine. Everything that Abraham had accumulated in 14 years of seeing his son grow. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't just your average everyday son, neither, was it? 25 years after God said he was coming, he waited. Can you imagine that birth announcement? Sarah's baby's finally here. She had a 25-year, nine-month pregnancy. Labor was awful. And she's here. What does Abraham do, though? Look at verse 3. So Abraham said to God, I can't do this. God, come up with something else. Now, as the scripture says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He splint the wood for the offering. He arose and he went to the place that God had told him to go. Can you imagine that night? God said, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am, Lord. God said, take that son you love so much as a burnt offering tomorrow. You got to give him up. I need you to give him up as a burnt offering to me. And I just think as Abraham lay his head down that night, he probably couldn't get comfortable, wouldn't you think? I mean, can you imagine the fight he had with Sarah that evening? Telling her what he was going to do the next day. Sarah, listen. The little miracle baby, the little miracle birth you had at 90, at 104, I'm fixing to take him off in the sunset and he ain't coming back. But yet there he is the next morning, saddling up the donkey. Let's go, boys. I got to do what God called me to do. And after three days' ride, God says to Abraham, there it is, Abraham, right? Remember when Abraham left, God left him under these instructions, ride towards Moriah. And I'll show you the place when you, when you get there. So God reveals to Abraham, he looks off into the, to the distance, and I believe he saw it, and I believe he had that feeling in his stomach. You know that feeling in your stomach? I believe he had that feeling in his stomach when he knew that's the place. That's where this is going down. I know that's it. He said again, God, the towers are down. I can't hardly hear you. And God said, you hear me, Abraham. Right there it is. I want you to look at what Abraham says in verse 5, though. Abraham said to his young men, to his servant men, 
stay here with the donkey. Now he leaves them there with the donkey because he's fully aware if they were to continue on that journey, when he gets ready to do what he's about to do, they may try to stop him. They may talk him out of it. They may try to quit. They may think he's falling off his rocker. They may try to intervene in what God's called him to do. So instead he says, I need you to stay down here. But look what he says. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Now think about what a paramount statement that is that Abraham makes. God has told him to go and offer his son as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. And Abraham tells these boys, he says, listen, me and the boy, we got to go up there and, and worship God. And we will come back to you. Now, if two are going up the mountain, one's planning to be killed. How many are coming back? Those of you that are real good at math, one. How many people is implied in the word we? More than one, right? Because if he was planning on coming back alone, Abraham would have said, you stay here, I'll be back. But he said, we are coming back. Abraham had faith that somehow or another God was going to see this thing through. He didn't know how, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he had faith to know he had to be obedient to God. And there he goes. And they head on in. At about verse 7, Isaac's a pretty sharp young man. He says, Father? And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. He said, Pops, listen. We got fire. We got wood. We're missing something, though, Dad. I don't see a lamb anywhere. I, I've seen you do this before, Dad. I don't, I don't see the lamb. What's, what's going on? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. Can you imagine Abraham when his son says, Dad, where's the offering? As he knows that his son has done the math and deduced that something's missing in this equation. And Isaac, not being a dumb child, is bound to have put it together and said, I've either got to kill him or he's got to kill me when we get up here. There's not nothing else going to be given as a sacrifice. Verse 9, we see Abraham prepare the altar. He builds it, he places the wood in order. And he binds Isaac, his son. Lays him in the altar upon the wood. Now, Isaac's at least 14 years old. Abraham's at least 114 years old. I'm 36. And every once in a while, my eight-year-old boy whips me. Abraham's 114. Isaac's 14. So people age differently then, Jason. I don't know, 114 is 114. 
You had a strapping young man coming into the prime of his life, fully grown as a 14-year-old nearly. And you had a feeble man in Abraham who even if he was in better shape than your 100-year-old men now was still bound to be weaker than his 14-year-old son. But you know who else is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the roll call of the faithful? says, by faith, Isaac. I believe Isaac made his way into the roll call of the faithful partially because in this scenario when Abraham said, Son, I don't want to do what I got to do. But God said, do it. And Isaac said, Daddy, whatever God said, that's what we got to do. And by faith, he lay out on that, on that offering table. And suddenly... Between verse 9 and verse 10, I don't know how long it took. But somewhere between verse 9 and verse 10, Abraham built up the courage to do what he'd been called up there to do. It says he stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And bless God for verse 11. Abraham, Abraham! You just imagine Abraham with that, with that knife... And he hears his name and goes, here I am. Same response, right? Here I am. And God says to Abraham, listen, I realize that your faith is beyond any worldly treasure. Abraham, you don't treasure anything more than you treasure me. I know that because you were even willing to give your son, your only son who you loved so much, you were willing to give him back to me. You were willing to sacrifice him to me. Abraham, I know your faith is true. Here's your reward, Abraham. Take a ram, sacrifice this. Here you go. You didn't withhold any of your earthly treasure. You valued me more than anything. And here is the provision that I have always promised you. And church, I'm curious. What are the things that we value so much that we tend to consider them before we consider God's calling on our own lives? Are there people in our lives that have become our idols? That's a strong statement, but it's absolutely true. I've seen it over and over again. Someone has a child, someone has a spouse, someone has a, a dear friend, somebody that they value in their life so much that, that it becomes their focus and their idol in an unhealthy fashion because God says anything placed before me is an idol. It's important to love them. It's important to be crazy about your children and your spouses and your family. But when you put them before God and you love them more than you love your obedience to God, you don't love them the way you were supposed to. And you make an idol out of them. And that's where our faith is put to the test, isn't it? When God says, do you value me more than you value anything else? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Whatever you need, God, here I am. Now I want to point, point out a few conclusions as we, as we close. Because there is a lot, um, 
A lot of imagery in this story. The story in itself is incredible. But I think when we fast forward to the New Testament and we look to the picture that is being painted here, we can see so many things. And for the sake of time, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of go through them quickly. But first we see in verse 2, paralleled in John 3.16, he says, Now take your son, your only son Isaac that you love, Go to Moriah, offer him a burnt offering. What does John 3.16 say? It says, God so loved the world that he took his son, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He took his son, his only son, his son, his only son whom he loved. The location, Moriah. Did you know that Moriah was the location where the city of Jerusalem would be built? many years later from this date. What, what takes place in Jerusalem? The only begotten Son, Jesus, would be sacrificed for everybody, wouldn't he? Same location. What about Isaac? In the time that he knew that he was the lamb to be sacrificed, he laid down and offered himself, didn't he? What would we see Jesus do in the garden? Pray, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And when he was arrested, he willingly gave himself up. If this is the will of the Father, if this is the sacrifice to be made, let me make it. But there's one big difference in the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of Jesus. And it comes long about verse 11. Because in verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and was prepared to slay his son. And sometime later in this same location... A lamb would be upon a cross, ready to lay down his life, ready to be the sacrifice. And yet when the time came for the nails to be driven into his hands and his feet, for him to be beaten and for him to be hung on that wooden cross and crucified for our sins, when that time came to happen, when the hammer went up, nobody said stop. And the father had to turn his back. On his son, his only son. Why? Because there was no other ram sufficient for that sacrifice. Isaac didn't have to go. There was another sacrifice God made available. But for the forgiveness of our sins, it was, it was no Lamb could be slain. No blood could be spilt that wasn't the perfect, blameless Lamb of God. And so when the time came for the sacrifice, there was nobody to yell, Stop! And the Lamb would cry out to Talistai, It's finished. Church, do you hear God calling out to you? Is he calling you to serve him faithfully? This, this is, listen. 
It rained 19 inches today, I believe. I mean, it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. And on top of that, it's Sunday night. If one drop of rain will keep six Baptists out, a Sunday night service will keep six more. Let's just be transparent with one another. You guys are here on Sunday night on a rainy day. You're faithful to come to the house of the Lord. You're faithful to come and worship together this evening. But I still believe that God's calling you to serve in some capacity. God is putting a call on your life. Maybe it's a call to reach out to somebody that's not here tonight. Somebody that was here this morning that didn't come back and say, Listen, you know we do have church on Sunday night. Maybe he's calling you to, to come forward and, and, and teach a class. Or say, God, I think, I, Brother Josh, I think God is dealing with me to, to do something. Is there some avenue where I can serve in this church? Is there something that I can do to serve the Lord faithful? And God's calling out to you, will you be faithful to surrender your time and your talents to the Lord as he calls you, as your faith is being put to the test? And maybe you're going through a season where God is really putting your faith to the test. You've endured something, you're going through something, you're dealing with something, and I ask you to look to Abraham and how faithful that he was and how God so richly blessed him as a result of his faithfulness and be strengthened by that comparison. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this evening. God, so thankful that you've given us another opportunity to gather in your house, God. God, so thankful that we can come to this place of worship. God, yet we also realize the weight of the story that we just went through, Lord. The story of Abraham and Isaac, the parallel account of of Jesus, Lord God. And we recognize that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross, we have faith. And that God, because of the example of Abraham and Isaac, we see that our faith, when put to the test, we can be strengthened. So God, give us the courage tonight to come and say, I surrender all to you, Jesus. Whatever you call me to, God, I'll do it. Lord, for those in here who may be struggling, who may be in a test right now, give them the courage to come and at your altar say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to pick me up. I can't do this anymore. Father, we know that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So it's in your precious heavenly name that we pray this evening. Amen. You may stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.